tonight I'm going to continue in our study on prayer. Um, tonight I want to preach on a passage that relates to what we're looking at on Sundays, and then next Sunday I want to teach on what the Bible, uh, what I believe is a, a great way to pray according to the scriptures. And so we're going to look at how to pray scripturally, uh, and I believe is a biblical way to pray. Uh, and, and so tonight, if you have your Bibles, to turn over to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 11. Luke, chapter number 11. And we're going to read verse 5 down to verse number 13 in Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 11, verse 5 down to verse number 13. And what you find in Luke chapter 11, verse 1 through 4, is later in Jesus' ministry. And they came to him and they said, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And, and what you find in verse 2 through 4 is, is, is what we have traditionally called the Lord's Prayer. He says, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And, and he goes through that prayer in verse 2, verse 3, and verse 4. But in Luke's Gospel, he gives a parable and he drives a point home that I want to look at tonight that I think is essential in our prayer life. And so uh, I want to grab a hold of this message and I pray that it would uh, just really uh, be applied to our lives and we would understand the weight of it as Jesus gives it to us here. Verse number five, it says, And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine is in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh, receiveth, and he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children... How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Father, we with great joy return into this book of all books. We stand because Your Word is worthy of our attention. We pray tonight that our hearts would be gripped by the Word of God, that You would speak through Your Word. And God, I pray that You would allow our hearts to receive the engrafted word that has not only brought salvation, but also that sanctifies us. Help us to be a people of prayer. May we understand the importance of persistent praying. Help us to not neglect this great gift that you've given us through the glorious avenue of prayer. And if anyone tonight doesn't know Christ, I pray tonight would be the night of salvation. We ask it in Jesus' name and God's people said, Man, you may be seated tonight. So Luke chapter 11 is later in the ministry of Jesus Christ. When you read about the Lord's Prayer in Matthew's Gospel, that's the launch of his preaching ministry. Here it's later on. And he again is laying out the model of prayer. But after he lays out the model of prayer in verse 2 through 4, he doesn't leave the subject of prayer alone, which I think is interesting. He knows that men's attention spans are short. He knows that we can make a 
we can make commitments that we don't always follow through with. We can say, Lord, I'm going to really spend some time in prayer this week, and by Tuesday we forget the commitment, perhaps even by Monday. We can be very fleeting in our commitments. Think about how weak our devotion can be. Sometimes we make a devotion to God and, and, and we break it before the day's over. And so this is, again, the second time Jesus is taught on this specific topic of how to pray in his ministry. And um, he, he knows that they don't need to just learn how to pray. I think it's important to know what I'm saying there. It's, it's not just important to know how to pray, but we also need to have a devotion to prayer. Prayer only works if you do it, right? Prayer is only effective if you actually take prayer and do something with it. So what good is learning how to pray if we don't pray? And so Jesus has witnessed all through his ministry frail spiritual commitments, devotions that men show him but quickly fall away. And, and I want you to think about if the disciples who gave up all they had to follow Christ, they dropped their nets and followed him for three years, needed to be taught on the importance of praying with persistence, how much more do you think we need to hear about it? Who haven't dropped all that we have to follow Christ. It is important and necessary for us to learn how to pray, but also to be committed to prayer. And so I believe if Jesus were here, that he would speak to many of us and say, I know that you pray, I know that you know many of the areas of prayer, but that there are things in our prayer life that need to be increased and that I believe that he would see our need to pray more and with more persistence and with more passion and with more diligence. And I don't think the Lord would be angry with us. I think that he would want that communion as the father to the prodigal son and, and longing for that daily walking in the garden, if you would, with Adam and Eve. He longed for that presence, uh, to, to, to the, the glory of God's presence to be with us, to dwell with us, and so much so that he's taken up residence in us. And, and when we make much of prayer, as I've said in the past, we are making much of God. Uh, prayer reflects the place God has in our life. And, and so Jesus taught us in Luke 18, verse 1, he says, men ought always to pray and not to faint. The way we don't faint in our life is by taking time to pray. Luke 21, 36, he says, Watch ye therefore and pray always. Paul said in Ephesians 6, 18, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, Paul said, Pray without ceasing. So there are these statements that the Bible tells us that we're called to a continual way of life known as praying. And so tonight I want to look at the importance of praying with persistence, according to our Lord. And, and, and he starts out by giving us a parable on the persistence of praying in verse 5 through 8. Here in verse 5 through 8 is a reflection of what was going on in the Middle Eastern culture in those days. People in that day were a lot more hospitable, um, and they were a lot more dependent on their neighbors. People needed one another more back then. If you look back in the days of America and the early settlers, uh, people relied on one another. They needed help and assistance in many ways. And, and that, that was a blessing in, 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 in many different ways. But they didn't have grocery stores. They didn't have a refrigeration process. So um, they didn't have the preservative abilities when it comes to food. Uh, before I moved to Xenia, me and my family, uh, 13 years ago, we lived out in uh, Frankfurt, close to Chillicothe, and uh, we would go, uh, when my flesh got the better of me, to a good Amish store out there. Anybody go to an Amish, like, freshly baked 
bread, muffins, all the stuff. They, you know, you walk in and I'm like, I am getting calories right now. <laughs> I mean, this is like, you know, dopamine effects are firing off. It is just incredible. And uh, we, we, we would go there, uh, we would buy a fresh loaf of bread. I would, back in the day, you know, you'd cut that bad boy in big layers, put cheese on it, put it in the oven. Today, I can't stay up with that kind of a lifestyle. Uh, but, we, you know, just love it. But what I found, and, and, and I didn't, you just don't think about it as a young guy, but uh, that bread would go bad within like a day or two. You have to freeze it, right? Because it doesn't have the same preservative qualities of all the, you know, bread today can last for like 15 years outside of, you know, <laughs> It'll last forever. I mean, you'll get cancer, but it'll be there. You know, it'll be there. So, um, so among the Jewish people, you need to understand um, that they, they would make bread that day and it needed to be eaten that day many times because they knew it wouldn't last. So they, they shared that with their neighbors. Hey, we got some bread left over. Would you like some bread? And they were very hospitable. If you remember when Abraham had the three uh, men who were angels, but he didn't know specifically, I think at first that they were angels. They appeared as men, the Bible says, but they came and, and he he made them food and, and, and was very hospitable to them. When Lot saw uh, those two angelic hosts in Genesis 19, he was seeking to be more hospitable and caring for their welfare even more than his own daughters. Uh, you see the hospitality of Laban, Jethro, Samuel, David, the Shunammite woman. Uh, and, and all through the Old Testament, that was the cultural norm, to be very hospitable to people. Um, I think we've unfortunately lost that. I, I, I really would like to begin a hospitality ministry at Lighthouse to where we get five or ten families that say, hey, let's, uh, let's just have one family over a month. Wouldn't that be nice? And just to build a culture of hospitality. Uh, we've had people come to us and say, hey, we, just, uh, we got a list of ten, fam- ten people that we just want to start inviting over once a month and, and uh, you know, one family a month and just start having people over to have dinner and just to, just to be kind and be hospitable, to get to know one another. We live in such a fast-paced world that we lose sight of the importance of relationships. Uh, you know, it, it's, people matter, don't they? It's important to have relationships. And, and relationships don't get built real well texting. All right, because only 7% of communication happens by words. The other 93% happen through, you know, diction, pace, tone, facial expressions, all that stuff. If you don't believe me, don't send an emoji to your wife, right? You'll find out there is more to it than just the wording. My wife doesn't get upset, but I know some of your wives probably do, so I got to be kind about this. So let's keep going on. Uh, Now, in those days, because the heat of the day, uh, many would not travel during the daytime, Rather, they traveled during the later part of the day, but, but they would not travel into midnight. I mean, that's, that's really beyond the scope of what would be normal. Uh, in this story, Jesus is, is giving us a very uncomfortable situation, and he intentionally sets this up for this man to deal with this difficult situation. He has a friend who, the Bible says, comes to him at midnight. He needs to be hospitable and provide something for him, but he doesn't have anything All the bread that he had must have been already eaten that day. Therefore, not wanting to be a poor host, he travels to someone who was his friend to get some food. And I don't know about you, but I probably would have been a poor host that night. I had some people come to my house and I was like, man, I'm out of food. I'd probably say I'm sorry because I don't like bothering people. 
I don't want to especially go to them at night and ask for something like that would just be, I would be very uneasy anyway, and it would just not be a comfortable thing to do. I would say, if, if I was in that situation, I'd say, hey, Tom, can you go do this for me? You know, Tom would go do it for me. So he's very, uh, very kind and friendly and doesn't mind that. So, um, but on this, this day, this, this guy is at midnight. Uh, they don't have TVs. They don't have good lighting you know, basically in that culture and time 2,000 years ago, when the sun went down, people went to bed because there wasn't a whole lot going on. They woke up earlier, they went to bed earlier. It was like my kind of people. You know, when the sun goes down, my body needs to go down. Uh, when the sun comes up, let's get up, right? And so, you know, there is such a thing as life before the sun rises, too. There is such a thing that goes on. So, uh, but these, uh, many of the Palestinian homes were also one-room homes, so everybody was in the same room together oftentimes. Uh, that's why the Bible says there uh, in verse 7, he said, my children are with me in bed. So, uh, you know, if it would get kind of cold. Many times he just had one window, uh, and, and they would stay close together to keep each other warm. Uh, now, this, this family had been in bed for several hours, and all of a sudden they get woken up by a friend knocking on the door, and uh, now if somebody comes to your house at midnight, you're thinking there's got to be a pretty serious situation, right? I mean, this is, it's got to be a life and death situation. Somebody is, is really in a desperate need. Uh, this is an emergency. And so uh, it would probably be very startling. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I get woken up suddenly, like my, I don't wake up slow. I wake up fast. Is anybody else like that? Like if you're startled, like you're ready to go. Like I, there's like fight or flight. Uh, it, it, I, I'm like, something needs to happen. Like, um, I remember my, my wife, I, I don't want to go down these stories. She'll get on me later. But uh, I know now you're thinking, you've got to tell the story. You can't do that. Uh, and I've told it before, but I remember when we were early married, probably a couple years into marriage, living way out in the boondocks of Frankfurt, Ohio. Nobody's around. Uh, and, and so we had a room. I mean, we're, we're on, we're, there's no neighbors around. I mean, it was just, we're out in the hills and, the, and, 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 and all these trees. And, 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 and my trash can was right outside our, our bedroom, and, and, and it was also wrapped around the house. There was a front door entrance, and she woke me up in the middle of the night. I mean, I, I don't do well with this, but she, she's done this to me probably a dozen times over the years. She doesn't say, honey. Like, she doesn't, like, tap me. It's just, Josh! And I'm like, Ugh! Like, I mean, it's just, I'm on fire when I wake up. And she's like, there's a deer running through the house. And uh, I was like... All I knew was I was running through the house. I don't even know what I'm coming into. Like, I, that's me. I just run out there. I don't know. And I'm like, my, I, I'm up for the rest of the night probably. I don't even know if I got, was able to go back to bed. But there was, a, there was a raccoon digging in our trash. No, we're not talking about Xenia raccoons. We're talking about the boondock raccoons. This thing was like a small bear. I, I had a 12-gauge shotgun, and I go to the front door. He's, he's got a, I am not exaggerating, he's got a bag of ruffle uh, chips. He's eating a chip out of it, and I'm like, there's still stuff in there? You know, give me that bag, man. Uh, but it's, it's, it's sitting there, and it looks at me, and it just goes right back. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, and uh, just fearless, just fearless. And so, uh, but the, the shock of it, I thought, I thought, dear wife of mine, my love, the girl that I gave my life, you know, in marriage to, uh, there must be some desperate thing that's going on. There must be a literal deer running through the house, but it 
There's a raccoon eating ruffle chips right outside the door. So these guys get somebody who comes to them, wakes them up, and, and, and they come to the door, and they're thinking, this has got to be a pretty heavy need. You know, this is probably maybe the only time in their life this has happened. And they come to the door, and the guy says, I need three loaves of bread. I don't know about you, but if, if your whole house got woken up because it's just that room, <laughs> not too happy, Bob. I found out that I am not a spiritual person at night. If you want to know the most carnal, and I didn't realize how carnal I was because I always slept through my carnality, right? So, and then you have kids and you realize, you know what, I'm a very selfish person. My wife is much more giving than me, you know? And, and so uh, you begin to find these challenges at night and the guy wants three loaves of bread. Now, now when we think of three loaves of bread, we're thinking about like the Amish bread, you know, big old loaves of bread. No, 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 no. That's not what they're talking about here. Three, three loaves of bread here is the idea of three pieces of flat bread that was used to spread something upon them. It would be enough for a meal. Just three little, three little pieces of bread was the idea. This is not an emergency. Uh, this, is, this is in the middle of the night. This guy isn't just asking for himself. He says in verse 6, For a friend of mine is in his journey, has come to me. I have nothing to set before him. Uh, and he's like, I'm, I'm here just to pass the love on. You know, my life got interrupted. I'm coming over here to, to, to pass on the joy of being awoken at night. And so you think about how would you respond to someone waking you up in the middle of the night asking for three pieces of bread? Anybody here think you would have a trouble to be a very spiritual and hospitable host? Okay, some of us are being honest. The rest of you, I don't believe you. Uh, I think all of us would be in that same boat. Uh, we would say, what are you doing? Leave me alone. Don't talk to me now. I will unfriend you now. You know, uh, uh, you get a thumbs down for sure tonight. I will, I, will, I will Facebook post you tomorrow with a bad comment. You know, I will tell the world what you did to me. But Jesus uh, knows exactly how we respond, so he, he gives this story. And this man is woken up with his house, and though a friend, he is irritated with his friend, and he's unwilling to give the guy what he needs. In verse 7, the man says, And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, my children are in bed with me, I cannot rise and give thee. Like, this is an extremely inconvenient request. Stop. You ever have somebody inconvenience you? Over and over and over again. You're like, yeah, they're down in the toddler room right now. You know? um, or in the teen room. You know, it works both ways. Uh, I won't continue on because I'll get myself in trouble. But, but I can relate to this guy. Um, you know, again, I, I remember um, when we... When we uh, had our first child. We have four children, and you know, when the first child's born, you always have that precious person in your life that comes to you and says, you know, um, I know this is your first child. Um, I, just, I just want you to be cautious about how you lay your baby in its crib at night. Because, uh, and then they tell you every horrifying story of SIDS that's ever existed. Now, if you lay them on their face, they're going to suffocate and die. If you lay them on their back, they're surely dead. If you lay them facing the wall, they're, they're not going to make it. I mean, they go through all these stories. So, so we put it like a, you know, you put like a Bose sound system in there, right? Uh, with, you know, it, with, with 10 monitors in your, in your bed so that when that little baby moves, it sounds like the Kraken is next door to you, right? I, I remember just every little thing. It was like, you know, and then by the second baby, you have one baby monitor. By the third one, you're like, ah, they'll be fine. You know, they're down the hall. You know, they'll be, they'll survive. 
throwing my carrot in there, they'll be all right. But, uh, but the selfishness that Jesus is talking about is, is the idea that human by, humans by nature would not want to be bothered and inconvenienced. We like to help people on our terms. We like to do things when it's convenient for us. But this guy in the story is not easily deterred. He's, he's very committed to getting this midnight snack. So in verse 8 he says, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And so what Jesus is saying here is, the man's friendship was not enough motivation to help the guy. His friendship was not enough. He liked the guy, he was his friend, but it wasn't enough. What was enough was his importunity. Now, what does importunity mean? It's different than opportunity. Opportunity is a good thing in our life. It speaks of a circumstance that's favorable to us. You see something favorable to you and you take advantage of it. Importunity is a very different word. It's a Greek word that is used only one time in the New Testament. It means to be shameless, overly bold, troublesomely persistent, even annoyingly persistent. It's like, it's like persistence on steroids. Now Jesus says this man's relationship to a friend, again, didn't cause him to get up and give him what he needed, but his annoying persistence caused him to get up and say, I will give you everything you need just so you will leave me alone. <laughs> like I will, what else do you need? Go. So that's the parable. That, that's, that's what Jesus tells us here. Now, what is, what is the point? Now, this, this gets into verse 9 through verse number 10. Jesus here is telling us that we need to show that same kind, friends, of importunity when it comes to how we pray to God. The point of the parable is we need to approach God with, with a fervency, with a perseverance, with endurance, with commitment. Uh, he, he goes into a mini-sermon in verse 9 down to verse number 13. Look what he says in verse number 9. He says, And I say unto you, this is, this, is the, this is the application, I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened. Everyone that asketh receiveth. He that seeketh findeth. Him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Uh, the point here is that you, you need to constantly pursue God in prayer. And you notice the progression. It starts with asking, it's the starting point. It progresses into seeking, and then it gets into knocking. The, the, the boldness grows. Verse 10, Jesus reiterates his point. Um, in the King James Bible, it, it, it uses the, like the ETH. You need to know that people didn't talk like that 400 years ago. They didn't talk with ifs. But the Bible uses that for accuracy. Uh, the ETH lets you know that's a continual action, that's a present imperative, that's, a, that's, a, that's something that you're doing now and you will continue to do into the unforeseen future. So it's like, asketh is like you ask now and you just keep asking, basically like the idea just ongoing, it won't stop. You seek now and you just keep on seeking, you knock now and you just keep on knocking. It's, it's just a continual thing that you just do. And so... When you think about your prayer life, does your prayer life reflect that kind of a commitment to persistence? I'll be honest, I remember, um, I can't remember what season of my life it was in, but there was a season of my life, uh, I think it was probably when I was in Chillicothe, I, re I remember thinking, 
God knows what I had need of. I, I, I'll ask him once, but I won't bother him anymore with it. I didn't understand this parable, obviously. So I, you know, God's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing, all-powerful. He is sovereign. Why should I bother him? I will ask him. He knows. And uh, just kind of leave it at that. And then you come to Jesus and he says, you're doing it all wrong. You're doing it all wrong. You need to, you need to ask continually. You need, you, need, you need some importunity in you. You need some persistence, some fervency, some boldness. Like when you come in prayer, this, this approach to God that's like, wow. And I can tell you guys, uh, I may do a message on the boldness of prayer from the Old Testament. It is almost embarrassing how they prayed in the Old Testament. It, it, it's, it's, it's really uncomfortable to read some of their prayers. Lord, open your eyes. Who would you say that to? Can you imagine talking to someone? Would you open your eyes? Lord, open your ears and hear us. Like, wh- who do you think you are? This is getting a little bit bold. This is downright almost rude. I'll do a message on it, and I will show you how uncomfortable they pray. It's like, it's like I couldn't imagine praying like that. Like, this is so bold. This is like... But you know what they had? They had some importunity. They had some persistence. They had such fervency to see God step in that they, they, they came to the throne, and they would not leave until there was an answer. I mean, they, there was a passionate pursuit. And so... The Lord is uh, calling us to, to this kind of a, a, a longing for God to move. And, and, and so he, in, in the Bible, there is uh, the, the Jewish way of teaching is to go from the lesser to the greater. And that's what he does here in verse 11 through 13. If you notice, he, he drives the point home. He says um, in verse 11, he says, If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? Or if he ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? And so he talks about three earthly things that people can ask, children can ask of their parents. You know, if they, your son says, can I have some bread, Dad? You don't give him a rock. That'd be kind of cold, wouldn't it? If he asks for a fish, you don't give him a snake. And if they ask for an egg, you don't give him a scorpion. I mean, these are obviously... Uh, extreme situation. You don't do that. And, and, and he drives again the point home in verse 13. Look what he says in verse 13. He says, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more, there's that, there's the, uh, the, the, the transfer from the lesser to the greater. How much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? A couple, a couple of important truths here. First of all, notice how Jesus describes the nature of man. Isn't that something? He doesn't describe man as being morally good. You know, according to uh, the worldly system of psychology, uh, man is born with a pure nature. Uh, No, they're not. I always think they must have never had kids. Because they don't come out good. (laughs) Right? You got to do some work on them, guys. It would be nice if they came out good, obedient. Father, is there anything else you would like me to do? I've already done the dishes, cleaned the room. You know, I know I'm three years old, but uh, I'm right here for you. Go get the screwdriver for you, whatever you need, you know. Go check on the raccoon, make sure he's not getting into. But he says, you are evil. Jesus doesn't see man naturally good. 
Matthew 19, 17, Jesus says, There is none good but one that is God. Romans 3, 12, There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Uh, the nature of God is also here seen as being good, abundantly kind, merciful, and generous. Psalms 86, 5, For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Ephesians 2, 4, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Um, I mentioned Psalms 103 the other day. If you haven't read that in your prayer life, I would encourage you to do that. Psalm 103, you'll be very blessed to, to spend time there. And notice what the Father gives His children who seek Him. Did you notice what the gift was? He says, how much more shall your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Now, why would they ask the Holy Spirit? Well, I think Jesus is letting us know here, this is like the highest gift that you can get. This is the greatest reward you can have. So ask yourself, when's the last time I asked for the, the blessing of the Holy Spirit to be working in my life? When's the last time I prayed that God, that you would grant me the, 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 the work of the Holy Spirit in and through my life, that gift of the Holy Spirit? Now, now, what are some things the Holy Spirit does? Let me just list a few from the Scriptures. First of all, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and brings us into salvation. He opens our heart to the gospel. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. Um, not, not according to our works, but according to the regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings regeneration, salvation to us. He also baptizes the believer according to uh, the Scriptures. Uh, he places us into God's family. Thirdly, He indwells the believer. John 14.16-17, Jesus says that He would abide with you and He will also be in you. The Holy Spirit will dwell within us. Uh, he also will teach the believer. Jesus taught that in John 14, 26, John 16, 13, that the Holy Spirit uh, would teach us all things, bring all things to our remembrance. Uh, the Holy Spirit also is the one who seals us until the day of redemption. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, as well as Ephesians 4, 30, it says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. He leads the believer, Romans 8, 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. He lets the believer know that we are the children of God, Romans 8, 16, we've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Holy Spirit lets us know we belong to God. He validates for us our salvation. And then he also prays for the believer, Romans 8, 26, likewise, the Spirit also bears witness with our, uh, or he also helpeth our infirmities, it says, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. And so he, he makes groaning which cannot be uttered, it talks about. And then he empowers us to live the Christian life. That's why Galatians 5.16 says, walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Uh, and, and, and so the Holy Spirit also fills us, uh, according to Ephesians chapter um, 5, verse 18, we're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. He takes control of our life as we surrender that will to Him. And then He empowers us to evangelize, according to Acts 1.8, you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. The, the list just goes on and on. The Holy Spirit is that third person of the Trinity that takes up residence inside the believer and empowers us to live the Christian life. If you want to live for God, it's not by our strength, but by His Spirit, isn't it? We, we must submit our will to Him. The Holy Spirit conforms us to the image of Christ, convicts us of sin, teaches us the Word of God, leads us in truth. It just goes on and on. So, let me give you an example of persistent praying in Daniel 9. Daniel 9, if you have your Bibles, you can flip over there to Daniel chapter 9. 
Daniel had been taken captive to Babylon for 70 years as a result of the sins of the nation. God has spoken through Jeremiah the prophet uh, of this happening. In Jeremiah 29 verse 10, if you just notice up here on the screen, it says, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished in Babylon, I will visit you, perform my good word toward you, and causing you to return to this place. So, so you find... Uh, this was prophesied before it happened, that they would go into Babylon for 70 years. So Daniel's in Babylon, and he's reading Jeremiah the prophet. Daniel 9, 2, it says, In the first year of the reign of Daniel, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. So think about it. You're in, you're in Babylon. You're like, it's been 70 years. Like, it's... He's coming. Like, he's, he's going to bring us out of here. We're, we're returning to our homeland. Uh, Daniel had calculated that it was, it was, it was time. Daniel 9.3, and he says this, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. You think he was serious about this? You think he was like, well, I'll just pray one time, it'll be good. Verse 4, and I prayed unto the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love thee and them that keep his commandments. Verse 5, we have sinned. He doesn't say the nation, he says we, right? We have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled, even by departing from thy precept and from thy judgments. Boy, he goes straight to the sin that needs to be repented of. Verse 9 and 10, he goes on, he says, To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servant, the prophets. And this repentant prayer continues all the way to verse 19. But I want, I want you to see the passion, boldness, and persistence of Daniel in verse 17. It says, Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications, and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear, open thine eyes. Behold our desolations in the city which is called by thy name, for we do not present our supplication before thee for our righteousness, but for thy great mercy. Isn't that good? It's, it's not our goodness that I'm leaning on, it's your goodness. Verse 19, O Lord, hear. I mean, you imagine somebody talking to you saying, hear me, and they're telling you, are you hearing me? I need you to hear me. You'd be like, I hear you. This is somebody that's so desperate, and, 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 and God is not upset with his desperation. God is not upset with his boldness. And he says, defer not, verse 19, for thine own sake, O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name, verse 20. And while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of the people of Israel, yea, while I was praying in prayer, even the man Gabriel comes. Uh, and, and so God sends Gabriel, God answers him in verse 22 through 23. And, and, and he answers that prayer. So Daniel 9, look at verse 22 and 23 uh, for just a moment. And, and this, is, this is the response that God gives to him. He says in verse 22, 
And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplication, the commandment came forth, and I am now come to show thee, thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Like, God greatly loved Daniel. Daniel is passionately pursuing God. And God brings the answer. In chapter 10, Daniel again is praying to understand a vision that God had given him. And it was so heavy that on Daniel's heart that Daniel fasted in prayer for three weeks. Until at the end of three weeks, God sent the answer by Gabriel who told him, look at Daniel 10 verse 12. Then said he unto me, fear not Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come forth, uh, come for thy words. Isn't that something? He chastened himself for three weeks, though the answer was sent the first day he came. And when you read Daniel, there is a spiritual battle between his answer and, 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 and the demonic world. There is, a, there, is a, there is a battle between the servants of God in the spiritual realm and the, the ministers of Satan, if you would. There is a, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 6, we don't wrestle flesh and blood, right? I mean, there is a spiritual reality that, that wars that is behind the scenes. And so, if we're going to battle a physical enemy, or a spiritual enemy, we need to have some spiritual armor, right? That's why Ephesians 6 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all the stand, stand. You need that armor of God. Put on the, your, your, your waist, the, 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 the word of God, and the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the Spirit, the helmet of salvation, and shoes shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So, so having and understanding what those armor pieces are, and then we see persistent praying from Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. God gave him that thorn in the flesh, and he's bothered by this. And I think the thorn in the flesh involved a multitude of things, from people persecuting him to perhaps physical diseases as well as spiritual assaults. But in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, after Paul had sought the Lord three times about this, verse 9 says, God answered and said, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul responds, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And so it was his constantly seeking. Jesus in the garden prayed earnestly three times the same prayer that God would take the bitter cup from him. If there was no other way, but nevertheless, he says, let your will be done. And all three examples, you have two great men and then you have the God-man, Jesus Christ, who faced great hardships, heavy situations. And you know what their plan A, plan B, and plan C was? Prayer. Jesus has the bitter cup. What do you do? I'm going to pray. Well, you already did that. Well, I'm going to go pray again. Well, that, that was plan A and plan B. What do you do when it just continues on? You go back and pray again. And then you do it again. And then you do it again. Praying with persistence is the best and the only thing. When people say, well, I've prayed about it, but, well, then go back and pray some more. Well, I've been praying, but didn't do it some more. i never forget when I came here to... Uh, to Xenia to start a church, I left a church family that I deeply loved. We started that church the same way we started this when it started with eight people, grew up to 600 people like this, and, 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 and I deeply loved them. And, um, and I remember one family I went to visit, and the, the, the wife was saved, and the kids, and, and they had a husband that was, was lost. And, and this dear wife, she um, very involved in the church, and she had been praying for her husband for 17 years to be saved. I said, can I come out and talk to him? She said, he, he will 
he will be so mad if you do. And uh, he just, so I, I was like, well, I'm a, I snuck out there to visit like the, the teenager. You know, I'm out here to visit the son, you know, he's an athlete and stuff. And so, oh, your dad just happened to pull in the driveway, you know, I'm, we out there and talked to him. And he, he, he talked to me for like an hour and a half. I mean, under heavy conviction, wouldn't get saved. Very nice guy, but just, so um, I, I'll never forget when I went back to preach there. They had told me he got saved. And uh, he didn't just get like a little bit saved. I mean, he, 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 the Lord saved him. And when I came to preach, I'll never forget when, when I said heads bowed, nice closed, he grabbed his family's hands and he walked down and got on his knees right at the altar and just leading his family in prayer. The last time I had seen him was in a garage where he was rejecting Christ. And his wife said, you probably don't ever want to talk to him because he's going to get mad. You know, da, da, da. And, uh, that's, that's, the pers- that's not, that wasn't me or whoever led him to Christ. That was the wife who called out to God for 17 years, loved her husband. She loved him as a lost man. She loved him, prayed for him, begged God, persistent prayer. You know, prayer is so much more effective than nagging our husband or wife, getting on them, being unkind in any way. It's not our pride that will change them, it's our prayers, because God works through prayer, doesn't he? And so, God answers prayers. Sometimes people say, why don't my prayers get answered? Well, sometimes God's answer is no. And if you continue to pray, he will open the door that he would want you to know. Sometimes it's not yet. Not yet. (laughs) Lord, I will just... Be patient, wait on the Lord, be of good cheer, He'll comfort your heart, wait I say on the Lord. Uh, sometimes there's a delay, sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes there's a delay to the point where it really hurts, you know, Mary and Martha got that, didn't they? You know, your brother will live again. Well, I know at the resurrection, no, it's, it's not even going to be that long of a delay, guys, and, and, and he, he made that known, and so... Today, what, what is that situation that you've prayed for that maybe tonight you'd say, you know, I just need to come and pray again. You know, I've prayed for it, but I need to pray again. I, I've been on my knees, but I just need to get on my knees again. I've, I've prayed about it, perhaps I need to fast about it. Is my soul so grieved that I would come to God and just plead with Him? But God already knows, Pastor. Yes, He does know, and He invites us to seek, to ask, and to knock. He invites us to be annoyingly persistent. Who in the world does that? There's no one in this room. Don't be self-righteous on me because none of us would. There's no one in this room who would say, you could come to my house at any time. I'm like, you could come to my house between these hours are the best. Now, if you're dying and it's the middle of the night, call Tom. I mean, he'll be there. (laughs) And if he doesn't answer, then... Brayden is a male. No, I'm teasing. You come to my house. I will. I will. I will. Uh, <laughs> so, but, but isn't that how we are? We can act all spiritual, but I can tell you, I'm not spiritual at three in the morning. Now, by 4.30, I'm pretty good, but by three, I'm not. So, Jesus, it's it just, isn't it amazing that God invites us like that? What an incredible invitation. What a joy. You know, sometimes people will say this to me, you know, Pastor, I know you're really busy. I'm like, don't say that. You know, I, I, I will make time for you. I will make time for you. If anybody in this church said, hey, can you meet with me? I will meet with anyone. Absolutely. But, 
But we, we feel sometimes we invade on people's time. You know, with God, that is not the case. God doesn't, he's not man. He doesn't get weary, right? He, he, he invites us. That's why Hebrews 4.16 says, Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help. Let me close with just this story of Hudson Taylor. He was a famous missionary in China, founded the China Inland Mission. Um, his mission sent out over 800 missionaries, just, just a work of God that's beyond measure. 125,000 Chinese Christians he spent 51 years in China. God used him in an amazing way. It was 18-year-old Hudson Taylor who wandered into his father's library as a lost 18-year-old. He read a gospel track and he said he could not shake it off. Finally, falling to his knees, he accepted Christ as his Savior. Later, his mother, who had been away, returned home when Hudson told her the good news. She said, I already knew 10 days ago on the very day on which you tell me you read the track, I spent the entire afternoon in prayer for you until the Lord assured me that my wayward son had been brought into the fold. How incredible is that? I'll never forget when um, Eric Woodworth, who went to, uh, came here to help me start the church, his 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 girlfriend at the time, she was a Mormon and uh, grew up in a Mormon home. Um, she got saved and she went all in like he did for Jesus. Her brother was like captain on the team, class president, and um, she would witness to him and he was just, it wasn't his, he wasn't into it. <laughs> so she said, what do I do? And, and uh, Candace was praying and fasting a lot for different things with the church and just ministry and stuff and and uh and she encouraged her to take some time to fast so so Ashley fasted for the entire week for her brother she went up and hung a gospel track outside of his door and spent the next seven days fasting for him didn't say one word to him she she, she tried to argue Jesus into him that didn't work so she just hung up the track and she fasted for seven days this is a true story at the end of seven days, he walked up to her with that track with tears in his eyes and said, I need to be saved. That's a true story. That's the power of a sister loving her brother to Christ and saying, I would go without food for your soul. How hungry are we for the lost? How hungry are we to see God do something that only he could get glory for? Does that make sense tonight? He says, if somebody came to you at midnight, you wouldn't like it. God's not like us. He says, come to me. Seek, ask, and knock, and it will be opened. What a God we have. Amen. Let's all stand tonight. Father, with joy, we come to you in prayer. And Lord, I know we don't pray as we should. And we're just so thankful and humble tonight again by your word. And I pray tonight at an altar that Maybe there's a burden in our heart that we've prayed for before. I pray tonight we would just ask again. We would pray again. Perhaps this week that some souls would come and fast for that person, pray for that person, be so burdened for that soul to be saved. Lord, I pray that you would give us a hunger for your work and your will. Give us that food that most know not of. I thank you for your mercy in our lives. Thank you for not being irritated with us, not being frustrated with our constant 
prayers and seeking you for things, Lord, that we would come to you and you, you have opened the door. And you invite us in and we, we rejoice in that. Help us to pray. Help us to pray faithfully and to pray, pray, pray with persistence. We leave the outcome of those requests up to you and your glorious sovereignty. For your name we ask it in Jesus' name.